Own the Rhythm, the Blueprint Series. I am Philip Llanos, your host. This show is about how personal philosophy affects creative work and life. You'll hear from successful writers, vloggers, and business content creators that are living proof of the benefits of discipline. Beyond bragging rights, this show is about sharing their blueprint with you. Open heart, open mind, and ask questions. Maybe this is the blueprint for you. This episode's guest is Joe Polizzi, the founder of Content Marketing Institute, which is the leading education and training organization for content marketing. They even have one of the largest in-person content marketing events in the world named Content Marketing World. Joe himself is a winner of the 2014 John Caldwell Lifetime Achievement Award from the Content Council. Joe's also the author of five books, five books. And he has one coming out called Killing Marketing coming out this September, 2017. His third book, Epic Content Marketing, was named one of five must-read business books of 2013 by Fortune Magazine. Without further ado, here's Joe Polizzi. When I got a job at a marketing agency way back, when I was living in New York, now I'm in LA, uh, one of the first things I did was do everything I can to learn about content, and I came across CMI. And I remember going, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. There's a whole institution, certificates, the whole shebang. <laughs> and of course, I used, I used the CMI blog as a resource that often was the source of my promotions. So uh, thank you for that. Well, even if you're making it up, I still like no. it. No. So <laughs> thanks. I appreciate it. No, I've, no, I've got to be. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I appreciate it. The team has been great. And I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, you're, you found some, some value in it. And that's what we do. That's exactly what we're supposed to do. So. It's like one of the main reasons I even actually, I remember pitching to the company that uh, we get, we get you to come in as a speaker to, to, to talk to the, the team as a whole. I was in charge of the culture a lot of the time at the company. And that was one of the things. And of course, uh, as with any big organization, they start talking about budgets and planning and somewhere along the, along the way, the bureaucracy gets in the way of things. Yes, it does. It seems to always happen that way. So. Right. But now, now I get to do this and I think this is a lot cooler. It's a cool medium. Uh, I know that you have two podcasts, correct? Uh, I had to, uh, I just killed the content Inc podcast. I got to 200 uh, pot episodes. That was the goal. And now I'm focused 100% on the This Old Marketing podcast. So amazing. So one's enough. <laughs> yeah. Was was that podcast, by the way, it was a curiosity of mine. Was that podcast named after your book? Yes, it was. It was totally a... Basically what happened is I only launched it to promote the book and then it sort of took off. So I kept yeah. it going. Yeah. And uh, and then I realized, you know what? I'd, I'd like to do some other things. And, you know, I've said, here, you know, Got to say no sometimes to do some things you want to say heck yes to. So. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I like that you said I, there was 200 episodes and that was it. Is that something you do often? You, you quantify a sort of a goal and then once it's reached, then you move on to something else? I, well, with that one, I did. Uh, that one absolutely was, uh, I got to, it was like 150 and I said, okay, I'm going to 200 and then we're going we're gonna to shut this one down. But I have like the goal sheet that I use that I refer to often always has, you know, monetary amounts, dates, anything measurable so wow. that I, I know, uh, I know what needs to be done and, and how far I have to jump. So 
Right. And and it's only measurable if there's some real purpose to it. Is that a, is that a fair question? Well, it's all yeah, it's always got to be something that has a purpose, a big why behind it, but once there's the big why and you know that you're getting in this with your heart, soul and your mind, then you go ahead and say, well, what does that mean? What does success look like? And you just do your best to put a number to it. I mean, that's how we ended up selling the company because I knew that we were, you know, that what do we need to get to in valuation that we'll be ready to sell? And so it took, you know, it took eight years to get to that point. So you write for the CMI blog, you're, you have a column with Entrepreneur Magazine, you're a LinkedIn influencer, and you had two podcasts, one of which you, you went ahead and uh, stopped, but you still did have two at one point. Uh, now, how do you manage all that? Because I find that a lot of people who are high performers, they tend to have a personal philosophy behind that success. And, and I have to, I'm curious, do you feel like there's a personal philosophy that drives your output? I got to take you back because it's been an evolution. So when I started, when I left corporate America and started in 2007, the goal was to create the leading online destination for content marketing. So how do you do that? And basically, you know, I sort of knew this from media and publishing and, and reinforced itself as I found out, you know, what makes a great media company a content marketing example is basically you do that with one content type and one channel over and consistently deliver over time. So basically that blog became five times a week. You know, every morning we would deliver a blog and then it evolved into seven times, which is what it is now. Um, you know, 2000, then 2010, we did the formal name pivot, but basically 36 months of blogging. And that was it. I had the book that we wrote in, uh, New Barrett and I wrote in 2009 with McGraw Hill, which is sort of part of it. A lot of that came from the blog content, but it was very focused on having the, the best textual plus image experience on the web and also driving email subscriptions. Once we got to a point where we thought we could start monetizing that audience, and you might call it, Brian Clark calls it minimum viable audience. Once we got to that point, then we would start to diversify. So then we diversified into January 2011, was Chief Content Officer Magazine, then Content Marketing World, the physical event that happened in September of 2011. Then we were like, okay, well, we know that our we have the best customers, the best subscribers, that engage in more subscription options. So we're like, okay, well, we know that there's an option and we have a story to tell on uh, audio because we wanted to fill the content marketing news gap, but we didn't want to go out and create the news. We wanted to comment on the news. So the This Old Marketing Podcast, which was launched in November 2013, that's what that became. So to answer your question, we our goal was to fill a content gap that we had. We absolutely had a gap around news it's very, very costly because I tried it in the past. We were actually going to go out and report on the news and we had a team of reporters and it just it was just too much expense for not enough value. We're like, okay, what can we do with what's going on out there? And that's where the podcast was, was born. So there's a very specific purpose behind doing it, not just, oh, we should do a podcast. We were like, we can really do something that no one else is doing. It makes sense to do this for the community and our overall mission. And it also will make sure we have better subscribers, better customers who ultimately will pay for more things. Wow. See, and I like that you said that because I do, what I do is I'm a podcast producer, right? And so I work with a lot of people who get a hold of me and I have to turn a lot of people down because they say, I just want to make a podcast. I don't know about what, but I want to make one because they say that you should have a podcast right now. <laughs> That's, you know what? That's like 90% of all companies. We work with billion dollar companies and you go in and you're like, well, why did you start this blog? And they look at you like you got two heads. 
Well, well, we just thought we should. I mean, shouldn't we be blogging? Shouldn't we be on social media? We should have created that Facebook account and all that stuff. And most of the people don't know why they're telling the story. They, the, most of the time, they're telling the story for themselves because they feel they need to. And they're not focused on who is that particular audience and what value are you trying to deliver? And they can't get out of their own way. Oh, I love that. So can you just elaborate a little more on the idea of story? Because right now, ironically, story is a buzzword. Everyone's like, oh, you've got it. What's your story? You've got to have a story. But I feel like not, a lot of, not enough people understand what story really means or if it derives from the audience first or if you have a story and you share it and then you find an audience. Yes. I mean, everybody loves stories, right? But you need to take it out of marketing for the most part because I, I'm one of those people that even though I use storytelling, I probably am one of the culprits for using it too much. I try to back away from that because what I really want to focus on is what, who is that very specific audience that you can make an impact with? Now, whether that's through telling differentiated stories, that's, that was, that's one way to do it. It doesn't have to be a story though. It, it's sometimes helpful to do that because people like stories, but they, but really what we want to do is we want to deliver on their pain points. That's the number one thing. If that means it's a bullet point list and you're not telling a story, fine. So be it. Doesn't matter. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to create long form content and you're going to do something consistently over time, of course you want it to you know to sort of follow whether it's the hero's journey or whatever storytelling arc you have. Right. Great, that's fine. But when I get in and I'm talking to content creators, I try not to say story to them because all I want them to focus on is the who, the specific who and drill down as far as we can. And so they start to visualize who that audience is. And then we get to that point. And then we try to say, okay, well, what is that audience's pain points? Okay, let's get that figured out. And then you start to look at and say, well, where do you have the authority to communicate anything to that audience? Mm-hmm. What, what do you have? Do you have some knowledge or skill area that's, that's better than most? Where's your passion? What makes sense for you to deliver to them? We're not t- talking about selling more products or anything like that. All we're talking about is the things that you would like to talk to that audience about because it makes sense for that audience. That's the only thing we're starting with. You know, you right. can talk about storytelling as much, much later because most people don't get to the, the exact who. Actually, what happens is they start targeting more than one audience, two, three, four. Uh-uh. The content becomes watered down. It's never relevant. And nobody ever pays attention to what you're saying anyways. See, I like that, especially in the world of today. Like you said, with social media, we should have had that Facebook page for who? <laughs> for what? Well, that's really- it. Like, like creating the content is like step seven, right? I mean, most of the, uh, the businesses actually doing any kind of content marketing out there actually don't have any street. They don't have a strategic plan behind it. So they, <laughs> they're just creating <laughs> lots of stuff. You know, they're, they're doing a lot of cat videos or whatever they're doing, right? doesn't matter because nobody's paying attention anyways. And Everybody thinks there's more clutter than ever before. But actually, it's still relatively easy if you focus on the right audience and consistently deliver over time because so many people are doing it wrong. Ah, so yeah, you, you, bring, you bring forward the idea of virality and everyone wants to have a viral video or a viral post. Or, it's just, yeah, I, I always say viral happens after 10,000 pieces of amazing content. So don't worry about it viral and who cares? <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. I, I'm matter. a fan that you said content is like step seven. I'm going to use that for the introduction. <laughs> it is. We always start with it. We get, um, we get distracted. I call it the disco ball of social media. 
Like, oh, we got to tweet. We got to be on Snapchat. We got to... No, we don't. We don't. Actually, we want to start saying no to more things than we say yes to and be very focused and very specific. And then once we build a minimum viable audience, then we can go ahead and diversify. The way you did with the, with the email subscribers so that you can monetize it and then move forward. Exactly. Actually, all you need to start with is you need that one channel. You need to have an email component because you want somebody to opt into your content. And you can roll like that for a long time. You don't have to do much else beside that for, for a while. Um, we're just seduced by thinking we have to create more and more content for different channels. And usually it's just a waste of time and energy. I see. So speaking of time and energy, I mean, you seem to have a lot of it. You sound like you're upbeat. Uh, maybe you slept more than usual. I don't know this per se. But how, how do you do it, man? Because, I mean, you, you, have, you write a column for Entrepreneur Magazine. I even want to ask you about that. But before we go there, you get up in the morning and your feet touch the floor. What happens? I have to get my cup of coffee, man. That's number <laughs> one. Say hi to the kids and get my coffee uh, because I need that to start the day. Um, before you get into email, before you do anything else, you got to review your goals. That's the one thing. Like if you had asked me, Joe, what what has been made such a, a, maybe the largest impact in your life is through a series of books like Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill, Seven Habits, Stephen Covey, 10X Rule, Grant Cardone. I sort of put together my... Um, the the way that I review my goals and I put them into different categories. So I've got uh, spiritual goals, financial goals, career goals, philanthropic goals, fitness goals. And then I have three or four bullet points under each one of those with, with what we talked about before, measurable goals. Like, so when I launched the business in 2007 and I started working on this, I said, I, I have sold Content Marketing Institute for X amount of money by X. I didn't make that goal, by the way. I was two years late, but wow. I figured that was okay. Give myself a pass on it. We still did it. So, um, so those are the things like get up and understand what are you doing in the first place and to get you focused. Cause if you don't, what you do is you, you get into email, you get into things that don't add any, uh, really aren't productive at all, don't add any value to you or anyone else. And you could just do email and stuff and meetings all day long and you don't create anything. So I want to make sure that I spend that morning creating. So what are my goals and what do I need to create today? So I need to create a newsletter. I need to create a blog post. I need to create a podcast today. I need a review for that podcast. So so I, I mean, I've, I don't have to do the operation stuff anymore, which is great. We've got wonderful people doing that. So basically, all I do is go out and evangelize and create content. That's it. So I speak you know, one or two times a week, usually do webinars, do podcasts, do whatever to evangelize the practice area and get people to rethink whether or not they're doing marketing the right way or not. Brilliant. And is that, is that finally when the time opened up for you to be able to become a, uh, a contributor to Entrepreneur Magazine for a column? Um, that was just, you know, they just asked me. I mean, when, when you get to, it's really, <laughs> what I've, I just actually shared this with somebody. When you, when you are just trying to make it and you're in the hustle, right? Like Gary Vee talks about, right? You're hustling. You're doing... You say yes to everything. You say yes to everything because you don't know where your lottery ticket's going to come from. And then once you start seeing some, some success, you start saying no to more and more things and until you find the ones that are really, really important and are the yeses part of that. So entrepreneur, which I, you know, the column there, which I was actually doing religiously for a while, I don't do as religiously anymore because it's not as important to where I'm trying to go now. Right. 
Because I had a whole two years where I was really focused on entrepreneurs. I had the Content Inc. book. Everything was great. Still love entrepreneur. We'll still write for them on occasion. But and did the LinkedIn influencer thing. Man, I was all over that. I had a week, a post every week. Things were growing. Then when they opened it up to everyone else, you, I wasn't seeing the return that I was seeing there. So mm. then you know you go look at where you see the most return for everything. And I get the most return on the speeches that I give, the webinars that I produce, the podcasts that I produce, and how I can drive new email subscribers. So everything I do is focused on those things for Content Marketing Institute. So if I'm not if I'm doing something else that's not adding to that, I better have a really good reason for it. Now, once you've been a LinkedIn influencer and you've had columns in Entrepreneur Magazine and you've you've shown your hustle has paid off, I imagine it's a little easier to book a guest. Now, let's say it's the reverse and you started off and you wanted to launch a podcast and you had a good purpose, you had an audience. How would you go about finding good guests? I know there's no one right way to do it, Philip. But, but what sure. I would what I would say is don't start a podcast yet. <laughs> then, if you don't, <laughs> what I would and what I would recommend is build your audience first. Building your audience by starting a podcast is almost impossible. It's really hard to do. Like John Lee Dumas, he he's one of those rare people that actually launched the podcast. For most people that have had a success, were successful doing something else first. So. What I, what's the easiest way to do it is if you built like an email subscription list and you built your your online credibility. So let's just say that you want to have ten guests on the on your future podcast, whatever that is. Well, I wouldn't be going out and asking them for stuff. What I would be doing is I'd be uh, I'd be trying to see where I can help them. Can I help them create content? Can I create content for them? Can I do something for them? Can I put them in a list that gives them visibility? That's going to also help, you know, the industry in general that I'm trying to target. Because then those, I mean, there's no reason. I'll give you an example. Content Marketing World 2011. You know, we had about 100 speakers at that event. Most of those speakers, they didn't charge me. They usually charge money to speak. They didn't charge me because for the previous four years, I was out trying to help them with their careers. Mm. So, you know, they were, they had no problem doing it. And still today, those same speakers, even though a lot of them charge $50,000 a speech, they were not charging us because I built that relationship up 10 years ago with them because just I'm just trying to help them. So I think that, you know, not that I'm trying to say that people shouldn't do a podcast if they want to do one. But what I'm saying is it's very hard to, to, to create that audience unless you've got a lot of promotion dollars behind it. It's very hard to get really, really good speakers if they don't know you from Adam. So right. I would work the ground, the ground attack first. <laughs> With that, and really uh, make sure that they know you first, and then then you right. can start to create your podcast and and do whatever. We, I mean, basically, I started creating content for myself for the company in 2007. Didn't start the podcast until 2013. Um, a lot easier to to do things like that and to get people to speak and whatever. And it's it take, it's as easy as a tweet or a phone call or an email now because they know who I am. Um, so it's a lot different from. Just right. So you're yeah. saying that the channel and the timing is very important. Yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, I, you might have a differing opinion, but I, I, it's very tough to just go out with a a guest a guest format podcast when you don't have any credibility in the community yet. Absolutely, no, I 100% agree with you. I, I, and I, and then I, my next question was going to be about how do you develop questions for your guests? But like you said earlier, it's, be, it's beginning to dawn on me. I think it has a lot to do with knowing the pain points that you want to address. Most of the 
podcasts that I've done are not guests. Most of the guest stuff that I do is in person. They're actually in person events, in person interviews. So mm-hmm. mine is a mine is a little bit differently. But I'll give you an example. I mean, I I just interviewed Joseph Gordon Levitt on stage at Content Marketing World last last week. The questions revolved around what I thought was important, not to him, but to the audience. What does the audience really want to hear from Joseph Gordon-Levitt? They don't want to hear how how was it working with Seth Rogen. Nobody cares. What do they care about? They want to know what his thoughts are on content, how what how his bot business model works, the way he thinks about it, what he thinks the new opportunities are, what he thinks the new trends are. So I'm always whatever the guest is. I'm trying to think of okay, what what, what do they stand for? But at the same time, what does the audience need to hear to get value out of this? All I care about, everything's focused on the audience. That's why you get a lot of celebrity interviews are terrible because it's like, oh, what was it like doing this? And tell us about this. And nobody really cares. They're entertained for a little bit and then they forget. Our job as interviewers is to make sure that they leave with something actionable. So you really have to start to dig and focus on, okay, what can I draw from this person that's going to help somebody? Wow. You hit it home, especially as a as a member of HitRecord.org myself. Uh, just knowing that now I have to go look for that interview. Is it on YouTube? Um, it's gonna be. We'll have a five minute uh, mashup coming out in probably a week or so. So um, it's not on YouTube yet. I don't, but it will be. But it'll only be five minutes, and it'll probably be a portion of his speech as well as the the Q and A that he did. Because I was really interested in his business model and. What he was thinking of, and I and I sort of convinced him that I think Google's going to buy his company someday. So wow, and you know what? <laughs> I, I I would agree. I'm actually thoroughly invested in finding and seeing this this uh, this interview that you did. So yeah, um, I, I'll have to make sure. So I think I've got your email address, Philip. But you know, send me, remind me, so that when it comes out, I can I can send you the link. Definitely. I mean, I still remember. I mean, you know, just just on a side note, quick side note. I remember the first day I heard about that, uh, what he had designed, and I was like, "Wait a minute!" And so, sure enough, it's paid off uh, tenfold. He's um, brilliant. He br- oh, he doesn't yeah. know what he has. He oh I mean, yeah. He's it's there's there's so much many ways to monetize it. But I get it. He hasn't focused on monetization yet, but yeah. probably the time is now. So yeah. And, and speaking speaking of, of of things coming out, and I think I read that you had a new book coming out called uh, Killing Marketing. That is correct. Actually, it launches next week. So yeah. So, what are some ideas that like a reader could expect to come across? So the the whole idea of the book is that we've been doing marketing wrong for seventy five years. We continue to do it the wrong way. We're still focused on um, interrupting people, and that the marketing department, which generally has been a cost center, should and should have always been a profit center. At least that's what I believe. I believe we should generate direct revenues and profit from the marketing department itself. And to do that, you need to build a loyal audience. So I go through things like, um, you know, what, what's the second most valuable event in the world? Well, it's not owned by a media company. It's owned by Salesforce, Dreamforce. Um, you know, probably a, almost a billion dollar valuation to that event. And they sell software. So that's a marketing function that actually makes money for them. Aero Electronics is basically the Amazon.com for selling electronics um, equipment. They are Fortune 119 company, $24 billion a year company. They are the leading media company in the electronics industry. They own 51 media brands. They reach 76% of all electronics engineers. Those are the things that are happening that people don't realize. And we continue to just spend money on advertising and short-term content plans when there's a brand new model that's right in front of us that we're starting to see. 
and most marketers are oblivious to it. So that's basically what the book is about, how you get to move the big ship into the right direction, uh, really good case studies and and if you believe in this model, you know what you have to do to make this happen. Right. And um, I imagine consistency in your efforts is one of those very important elements to get. Um, yeah, started. absolutely. Right up there at the top. That's where either they're not telling, they're not creating different, different valuable content, differentiated valuable content, or they're not consistent in their delivery. And that's either, you know, when I go and I'll do an analysis of a company's content marketing, it's either one of those two for the most part. Do you think there's a reason why? why some strategies that a company or an entrepreneur adopts for content will be will be easy for them to commit to the consistency while others are not well, well first first of all it's easier for a small company or an entrepreneur cuz you don't have any political red tape if you work at a big company you have to it's all about change cuz you've been doing things one way so you have to actually change something now if you talk about content creation if i'm an entrepreneur Passion is so critical to making this thing happen because you're probably going to go six, nine, six months, nine months, or 12 months without really seeing significant growth, some significant, a significant way to monetize your platform. You're basically just building the audience. It takes a lot of time to do that. If you're not passionate about it, you're probably not going to get up every day and create that content. So you might as well, if you're going to do this anyways, you might as well focus on something you're passionate about. And uh, I think that's why a lot of entrepreneurs do because you're like, hey, I don't want to work for, for anybody. I want to do something fun. I want to do something interesting that gets me excited in the morning. So, so that's where passion plays such a key. Now you go into a corporate environment, not a lot of passion going on. Now they're pretty much doing their job. <laughs> they're getting the pay and it's fine. I have a lot of my friends do that. I used to do that. I just don't want to do it anymore. I made a choice not to do it and I'm never going to do it again. So I respect that. So step one is passion. <laughs> step, step two would be consistency. And somewhere along the way, step seven is the actual it is, content. Is actually creating content. But honestly, the whole thing that we're talking about, everything evolves around, can you be of value to somebody else? That's it. And then that, that somebody else happens to be an audience. And that you, as you find more and more of those somebody else's that sort of all have the same uh, pain points, you actually get an audience that you can monetize and you can sell things to. So it'll start with a sponsorship and then it'll start by maybe you'll launch a product. And I mean, that was my, my book in 2015, Content Inc. That's all that the whole thing was a business model about creating an audience first and then launching products second, not coming out with a product and then trying to get it to market, which usually fails anyways, because you're going to have to pivot because you found out that that's not what the audience wanted. That's not what that customer base wanted. Well, you might as well just build the audience first and the customers will tell you exactly what they'll what they want want to buy and then you can create that. Uh, okay. No, that's gold. Wow. Uh <laughs> Joe, I, I, this is, I mean, you know, people hear it over and over again, but I think it helps to hear from someone who has legitimately achieved heights that others would have hoped to have achieved. And when you hear it from, you know, on the way back down, when someone's sending the elevator back down and they let you know that that's what it's going to be like on the way up, I think it comes, it comes across a lot better. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, so anybody I'd say it's absolutely worth it, but it'll probably take longer than you think. I mean, that's, that was my thing. Like I almost gave up on it after three years. Oh, wow. No way. Uh, yeah. So to September, 2009, I remember the day we had a big client that, uh, or a big customer that was paying some money that best case study ever, they stopped. They said, oh, we don't want to do it anymore. We want to put our money somewhere else. And I'm like, oh my God, this is not going to work. Got to go back and find a job and all that stuff. But we gave it another chance, did a pivot. Content Marketing Institute was launched in May of 2010. And Everything changed from that moment on, but that's because I I was not listening to what the customers wanted to buy. I was I was focused on what I wanted to sell. But this is this is interesting because 
I found that there was a point in time where when I moved away from working for someone and started working for myself, there was a moment, it was pivotal, where it didn't look like it was going to work out. And almost the minute I committed and said, you know what, whether it works out or not, this is what has to be done. I have to live this. This was my goal. I've got to go for it. The minute I made that commitment 100% internally, suddenly everything started turning around. That's absolutely true. And I, the same thing happened because I was dabbling in so many things because I, I thought that I should diversify to, oh, I'll do a little consulting here and I'll create this little company over here. Actually had a, about three different companies working at the same time. My, I was scatterbrained all over the place, wasn't great at anything. And then finally, just like you, made the decision to say, what do I really want to do? What do I really want to make an impact with? Focused on the one thing that became Content Marketing Institute. And, uh, you know, focus gets you a long way. Man. And uh, that's, yeah, focus, passion, and what do you recall? Grit, right? It's yeah. just because you basically, you just outlast everybody else because most everyone else has given up by then. Yeah. You're the you're one, right. you're the last one standing and you reap all the rewards from it. So I can yeah. say that now because I've been through it, but a lot of people are like, no, I don't want to go through it. A lot of people don't want to go through it. It's hell. It's hell for three to four years, but you know, you come out of it, you're like, oh my God, it was so worth it. Yeah, you know? man, I can, I can definitely look back to a few moments where I was holding back some tears. So <laughs> I, <definitely, laughs> I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, we both been there, right? Exactly. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Joe, it's such a pleasure to be speaking with you, man. I, I really look forward to the uh, interview with uh, Gordon Levitt there. And you said your book's coming out next week? Books, yeah, I actually have copies in front of me now, but it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all all those places. But KillingMarketing.com and but the formal launch is September nineteenth. But yeah, we're we're ready to rock and roll with it. Going Amazing. on the book tour. Yeah, so. I'm gonna have to check it out. That's for sure. I mean, just writing a book in itself is like wow. And you've written like five of them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's been beast. Yeah. <laughs> first beast, one without content man. in the title. This is the first one. <laughs> Everything else had like content in the title. This one's just killing marketing. Very, uh, much very abrupt. Yeah. Well, Joe, thanks so much, man. You uh, got I'll, I'll edit this up and I'll shoot it your way. Sounds good, man. And congratulations on all your success too, man. Thanks for listening. I hope this blueprint will help you own the rhythm in your space. Feel free to subscribe and reach out to me on Instagram and Twitter at Philip Lanos, P-H-I-L-L-I-P-L-A-N-O-S. Also, you can visit OwnTheRhythm.com if you want help producing your podcast. Open heart, open mind, and ask questions. Stay tuned for the next Blueprint.